In 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, he's talking about Israel. He's talking about that first generation of Israelites that God delivered out of Egyptian bondage. The Bible talks about how he brought them out. But in verse 5, it says, But with many of them God was not well pleased. What does it take to please God? Faith. faith. He wasn't pleased with them, so what do we know? They weren't operating in faith, so they must have been operating in unbelief or doubt. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. If you won't believe God, can you fail? Yeah. You'll go down. Is that right? You can absolutely fail. You can be destroyed if you won't believe God. Verse 6, now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things. And he mentions, don't be an idolater like they were. Don't fornicate like they did. Don't tempt Christ like they did. Verse 10, don't murmur as they did. How many times have we seen murmuring, murmuring complaining already? Notice in that 10th verse, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Did you know that murmuring and complaining opens the door to the destroyer? Well, that's a serious thing, isn't it? Complaining is very serious. Complaining is one of the characteristics of unbelief that we've seen. Verse 11. Now, all these things happen unto them for ensamples, or examples, and they are written for our admonition, for our instruction and correction, whatever, upon whom the ends of the world are come. So we see that this first generation of Israelites that God delivered from Egyptian bondage, God has set them up for us as an example, but not an example to follow, an example not to follow. And he, God is saying, look at these people, look what they did, look how they believed, how they acted, how they spoke, and see to it that you don't act like them. So if God said, see to it that you don't act like them, we need to know how they acted. So we can make sure we're not acting like that. And so that what happened to them doesn't happen to us. They were disqualified from the blessing of God. Though God had already given them the promised land, he had already told them Canaan's land belonged to them, yet they didn't enjoy it. They perished out in the wilderness with the exception of Caleb and Joshua. Now, this brings up an interesting thing. God's covenant and God's word with us is conditional. Did you know that? If God says, I'll bless you, I'll do this and this, it's, almost, it's invariably accompanied with, if you do this. If you'll believe me, if you'll obey me, etc., etc. Well, if you break your end of it, then you needn't expect his end to come through. What do you mean? Well, if God says, if you'll obey me and believe me, I'll give you the Canaan's land, you'll enjoy a land that flows with milk and honey, this and that. Had he told them that the land was theirs? Did they enjoy it? No. Well, did he lie to them? Did he let them down? No. They broke the covenant. Is that right? And when the covenant's broken, it's broken. You understand? How many of you got to keep up your end of the deal? I think sometimes people just talk about the promises of God, and they don't talk about uh, the commandments. But if you keep the commandments, he'll keep the promises. Is that right? If you'll do what he told you, he will certainly do 
uh, you know, if you'll do what he told you to do, he'll certainly do what he told you he would do. Don't you believe it? Now, let's go back, if you would, go back with me to these scriptures that we've been studying, back to Exodus. But we saw in Numbers where God had said that they had tempted him ten times with their unbelief and their rebellion and disobedience. And so we've been taking these one at a time and looking at them. The first situation we studied was in Exodus, the 14th chapter. And uh, what they did at the Red Sea. And we put some uh, items on our list of what unbelief is from that particular study. We saw that unbelief is moved by what it sees. And we saw also that unbelief is afraid. Unbelief fears and panics. We saw also that unbelief is negative. Is that true? It speaks negatively. It is not optimistic. It is pessimistic. It's a firm uh, adherent of Murphy's Law. Anybody know what Murphy's Law is? If anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. Now, boy, isn't that pessimistic? You don't believe that, do you? Hmm? Do you confess that over yourself? I hope not. <laughs> Why couldn't you have another law? If it can go right, it will go right. Huh? You know, that's, that's basically what Brother Roberts popularized the statement even back in the, in the 60s and what have you when he said something good is going to happen to you today. Hmm? Something good. Well, you know, why believe something bad's going to happen to me today? That's doubt and unbelief. Faith would believe positively, optimistically. And yet sometimes people say, yeah, but now, brother, I guess I'm just a realist. You know? Yeah, you're talking about good things happening, but that's, you know, you're living in a fairy tale world. You're living in an imaginary realm. I live in the real world. And in the real world, it's ugly. And things mess up all the time. And things don't go right. And I'm just a realist. Yeah, real unbeliever. A real doubter. You understand? How about us becoming real believers? Flyers fly, swimmers swim, runners run, and believers should believe. believe. Is that true? Not doubt. No, if you, if you doubt, then you, your name is a misnomer. If you're, a doubt, if you're doubting and you call yourself a believer, that's a contradiction, isn't it? So believers should believe. Are you a believer? Yes. Then what do you do? Believe. Part of the time? All the time. <laughs> Somebody said, well, I try to believe. So you're doubting already right there. <laughs> you got you to gotta start believing I can believe all the time. Is that right? Do you see how subtle doubt is? Well, brother, you know, you just sometimes you just slip up. You mess up. Well, are you prophesying or talking about the past? Are you with me? Sure, we've made mistakes. If you want to talk about the past, yeah, we have messed up. But when you say, I mess up, 
That's different from I messed up. You say, I had a problem. That's different from saying, I have a problem. You say, I had this. That's different from saying, I get it. It happens. You're prophesying. You're predicting it's going to happen tomorrow. That's not based on facts. That's based on belief. You're believing it. How many of you, got, you need to watch your mouth concerning your physical condition? It's one thing to say, I have had migraines. It's another to say, I get migraines. That's your faith talking. You're expecting them. You're prophesying them. Are you listening? The Bible said, death and life is in the power of the tongue. You're speaking bondage over yourself or you're speaking liberty? When you say, well, it seems like I, financially I take one step forward and get knocked back three. You know, every time I get ahead just a little bit, then, you know, it seems like something happens. You're prophesying. I said, you're prophesying. <laughs> you need to confess the scripture. The psalmist said, I'll go from strength to strength. That's what's happening to me. I'm going from faith to faith and from grace to grace and from glory to glory and from health to health and from wealth to wealth, from victory to victory. That's got nothing to do with what I have experienced. It's got nothing to do with statistics and what the average person experiences. You can live your life by statistics if you want to, or you can live your life by the Word of God. You can live your life by the faith of God. Positive. Optimistic. Expectant. Amen. So unbelief is pessimistic. It's negative. It's also sarcastic. See, when you get bitter, you start talking sarcastic. Bitterness, sarcasm. They said, what'd you bring us out here for to die? Because there's no graves in Egypt? <laughs> and notice the language of unbelief is a language of death. It's always speaking death and destruction. Do you understand the devil is always trying to get death in your mouth some way or other? He wants you to talk death. He wants you to talk corruption. He wants you to talk decay. He wants you to talk destruction. He, he, he's so many subtle ways that he gets it in too. If you, if you don't watch, if you don't listen, we should be talking life. We should be talking victory. We should be talking increase. Always and only. So we learned some things there. We, we went on to Exodus 15. And saw the waters of Marah. We learned some things there. We learned that unbelief is a complainer. We learned that unbelief forgets the blessings of God. We learned that unbelief is unthankful and ungrateful. It doesn't remember what God has done for it. And it's ungrateful and it's unthankful. In Exodus 16, the third situation we studied, we saw that they didn't have anything to eat. And again, they complained. And again, they, they, they were uh, sarcastic and said, you know, I wish we'd have just died in Egypt. We're going to die out in the wilderness. You brought us out here to kill the whole assembly. And we see also that unbelief puts pressure on people. Remember, we talked about that, those of you that were here. Faith puts no pressure on people. Faith is looking to God. God's going to meet my need. 
Yeah, but so-and-so won't help me. Forget about it. God will help you. Amen. Yeah, but I thought God was dealing with them. Well, if they won't respond, he'll deal with somebody else. Don't worry about it. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. Don't put pressure on people for anything. Not to do anything for you. Not to support you. Not to help you. You understand? If people don't want to, don't you bother them about it. Don't make any big pulls of any kind. You understand? People who pressure people are unbelievers. I didn't say they're lost, but they're doubting in that particular area. They're not believing God in that particular Because if you believe in God, you don't put any pressure on people. That includes the area of finances. Amen. You know, a lot of times if I've taken up offerings, I tell people, I say, if you don't want to give, don't. Don't. Keep your money because you're going to need it. <clears throat> I'm serious. I, I don't believe in putting pressure on people and telling some big sad story or wearing shoes with holes in them. Amen. <laughs> I have a few nice things. I drive a nice car. I live in a nice place. And people say, oh, brother, you ought not tell that. People won't give. Well, see, look at what method they're thinking of people being motivated by. By what they see. By what they hear. If God doesn't deal with people to give to me, I don't want it. You understand that? I, I can go get a job if I need to. You understand what I'm saying? No, I don't want somebody giving to me because they feel sorry for me. Feel sorry for that poor young struggling preacher. No, no. God doesn't deal with people. I don't want them doing anything. You understand that? If I need something, I pray. I talk to God. Amen. I give. And God takes care of me. Always has. Always will. And he takes care of me good. 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 Getting better all the time. You won't hear any sad songs out of me. You won't hear any blues tunes from me. We're talking victory. We're talking plenty. We're talking prosperity. We're talking every bill paid. We're talking eating the good of the land. Amen. You can talk what you want to. But if you're smart, you'll talk victory. Now, go with me, if you would... Uh, well, I didn't, I didn't mention one more. Number four, we, we saw the situation in Exodus 16 of the manna test. And they failed it. We said to you that every day is a challenge and test of your faith. Every day of your life, every situation that you encounter, the issue is coming up. Are you going to believe or are you going to doubt? Are you going to give up and quit or are you going on? Are you going to believe God and trust him and expect good? Or are you going to doubt and despair and get discouraged? Every day, in every situation, your faith is being tested. Did you know that? Every day. And they failed test after test after test. God rained manna out of the sky for them. 
But that was only after they had complained and said, we're going to starve out here. What would you bring us out here? We don't have anything to eat. They complained. They were ungrateful. They put pressure on Moses, all these indicators of unbelief. But God, out of his goodness and faithfulness, rained bread right out of the sky. You know, I was reading some after another fellow, and he figured this up. He said this amounted to 14,600 daily miracles just in the manna alone. How he sustained them in the wilderness for 40 years. Bread fell out of the sky. Somebody said, well, it didn't, didn't any fall on the seventh day. Yeah, but there was a miracle occurred on the seventh day because any other day that you saved the manna, it had rot. But on the sixth day, it wouldn't. Miraculous. 14,600 daily miracles. But in the midst of miracles, bread falling out of the sky, you have people full of doubt and unbelief. Do you know you can get acclimated to miracles happening and you can take them for granted? You, you, you can grow calloused to God blessing and moving and doing and not realize what's happening and not be thankful and be unbelieving. If you listen to the enemy, you'll never be content, you'll never be happy, you'll never be satisfied. I don't care how many miracles are happening round about you, you'll always see something that you don't have. Always see something that, that you're not experiencing yet. Always see something to gripe about. Always something to be negative about. Something to find fault with. If you look, you can find something that you're disgruntled with and upset about. But that's being unbelieving. Faith person will find the good. Faith person will look past the bad and find something to give thanks for. Faith person will be positive. Can you see that? We see that he told them not to go out and pick it up on the seventh day, but they didn't listen. And we saw that unbelief is disobedient. Unbelief is self-willed. Unbelief, uh, you know, doesn't obey. Like we said, it's rebellious. And so now let's look at the fifth situation here in Exodus 17. Exodus 17. This is the fifth situation. We see that all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and they pitched in Rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink. Now have they seen any miracles? Yes. Have they seen God provide for them? Repeatedly. They've already experienced water miracles. They know God can do stuff with water. Is that right? They saw the water turn to blood in Egypt. Is that right? They saw themselves spared in Goshen. They saw uh, God turn the bitter waters of Marah into sweet waters. Is that right? So they already have had some experience in the same area. But did they believe? What did they do when there's no water? Verse 2, Wherefore the people did chide it means they quarreled and they fussed with Moses. What does unbelief do? Here's another one. Unbelief is argumentative and quarrelsome. Unbelief is argumentative and quarrelsome. 
that's Linky. <laughs> I don't know what the people I've dealt with. And I could tell after talking with them for just a few seconds that they're in doubt and unbelief. Well, my job as a minister is to what? Help get them into faith. But a lot of times you try to share with them the truth and what do they do? Argue. Argue. Yeah, but. Yeah, but what about? But how come? And it's not just a matter of mechanics. It's a matter of spirit. Resistance. Resistance. You, you, you understand that? And what, what provokes that? What prompts that? The spirit of unbelief in an individual. There have been some cases where I, the Lord just prompted me, just stay with an individual, just stay with them. And I have talked with some people for hours, hours, until finally they would humble themselves and give in and say, well, yeah, I see that, and so and so and so, and get in faith. It's wearisome, though. I said, it's wearisome. <laughs> but uh, God's been merciful with me. Amen. Dealt with me longer than hours. Amen. Helped me, get me to see the light. Get me into faith when I was doubting. God's gracious, so we ought to be gracious with one another. Is that right? But on the other hand... If you know and understand, there's no reason for you to be argumentative. Right? Quarrelsome. Just a, just a bad spirit. Hard-headed. Stubborn. These are all indicators of what? Unbelief. Unbelief. Faith has a sweet spirit. Do you know that? Faith has a sweet spirit. Faith, if you, talk, if, you, if you talk about the wisdom of God, over in James, he talks about that the wisdom of God, somebody who's really operating in, in God's wisdom, uh, they're teachable. They're gentle and peaceable and easy to be entreated. You can talk to them. They're open. Is that right? Why? Because they're operating in the wisdom of God and the faith of God and the knowledge of God. But somebody operating in the, in the unbelief are going to be argumentative, resistant resistant you know we see people come in healing school all the time and I've seen a tremendous connection between humility and healing do you know the Bible says God gives grace to the humble and if you need healing healing is by the grace of God if you need knowledge or understanding it all comes by the grace of God but what does God do with the proud he resists the proud the psalmist said, the proud he knows afar off. Implication that he holds them at arm's length. He resists. God hates pride. Pride's of the nature of the devil. Is that right? But you know, there's a lot of it around, isn't it? <laughs> and, uh, you know, you see people come to healing school and, and we begin to try to instruct and, and share. And we've been doing this for some time and learn some things that work. And sometimes you'll see people just kind of sit there and look at you like, well, I will if I want to. If I don't, I won't. This is America, you know. <laughs> Land of the proud and free. <laughs> well, depends on what you mean by that, you know. 
lot of times it's difficult to help people like that. And yet you see other people humble and open. You know? Oh, Brother Keefer, is there anything you know that'll help me? Let me know. Tell me, you know? And just sit there and just soak up the teaching. And just, not, not just so much from a man, listening to God. Look, you know, what, what, Lord, what, what do I need to do? If I need to change, I'll change. If, I, if I'm thinking wrong, show me. I'll, I'll quit it. If I need to repent, I will. I'm ready. I, I, know, I know I'm not perfect in every way. I know I need to grow. I know I need to develop. See, humble, teachable, open, not combative, not argumentative, not quarrelsome. Unbelief is quarrelsome. If you know somebody that's quarrelsome, even somebody you saw in the mirror today, <laughs> then you know the reason why. <laughs> Unbelief. Unbelief. Now notice again, they're putting, they're putting pressure on Moses, aren't they? Unbelief puts pressure on people instead of believing God. They did, they chide, they did chide with Moses. They argued with him. They fussed with him. They said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? Why are you fussing at me? Do I look like a water fountain? <laughs> How many know that unbelief can be so unreasonable? Why come down on somebody else? Who said they could fix your problem? Do you know what the actual situation is many times? People are actually mad at God. Because they hadn't done right, and things hadn't worked out for them, and instead of being humble and dealing with their self and admitting I messed up, it's easier to get mad at somebody else, and they really get mad at God because he hadn't done this or because he let this happen or whatever, but they know they shouldn't be mad at God, so they look around to the nearest person to take it out of. And a lot of times if a preacher is handy, that'll do just fine because he represents God, you see. Anyway, the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses, and they said, Wherefore is this that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Sarcastic, negative, pessimistic. And Moses cried to the Lord, and he said, What shall I do to this people? They'd be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee the elders of Israel and your rod wherewith you smote the river. Take in your hand and go. See, see, he reminded him the rod that you smote the river with. I mean, God has already demonstrated he can do things with water. Is that right? Do you understand why I keep referring to these things? Because when you have seen God move for you before, you should not doubt in that area. Particularly if you've seen... I mean, if God has ever healed you, then if you ever need healing again, why should you doubt? You know he can do it. He's done it for you. He's all, not only have you read it in the Bible, he has done it for you personally before. And yet, when another situation comes up, the devil will hop on your shoulder and say, well, not this time. It's not going to work. Try to get you to doubt him, just like God changed or something. If God had ever met your financial needs, has he? Has God ever come through for you, helped you? 
I'll tell you one thing, you wouldn't be sitting here looking at me today if he hadn't fed you and clothed you all your life long. <laughs> Sometimes people say, well, brother, I worked hard for what I've got. Yeah, right. Maybe you did, but if God hadn't given you breath and opportunity and strength, did you hear me? What could you do? No. If you have anything, God's blessed you. Amen? Amen. He wants you to enjoy. But you should give glory where glory is due. Amen. Give it to God. Amen? If God's done something for you, don't try to explain it away. Thank Him for it. Glorify Him for it. But if He's ever moved for you in that area and it comes up that you need that again, why would you doubt? Why would you doubt? He's already done it for you. He's done it for you repeatedly. Why would you doubt? Why would you doubt God who's never lied to you and believe the devil who's always lied to you? And yet it happens every day. It happens all the time. Anyway, God told him to go uh, stand there and to smite the rock and that the water would come out. The one thing that's confusing to some people is that there are two instances where God caused water to come out of a rock. And what's also confusing to people is that there are two instances where God gave the people quail. Two, not one. In their, same, in, in their journeys. And we'll talk about this as we go on. But anyway, in this particular instance, God told him to smite the rock with the stick. The next time he told him to speak to it, you remember, and he failed to do what God told him to do. But in this particular instance, he did what God told him to do, and the water came out. Water enough to feed millions, to, to, to satisfy the thirst of millions of people, and who knows how much livestock. So we're not talking about just a little, uh, a few gallons of water. We're talking about a river of water. You understand that? I mean, one cow can drink a lot of water. Is that right? Herds of cows, sheep goats and camels and millions of people came out of a rock. <laughs> you, know, you know what? This should really do something for our faith. If a person's hungry and there's no food around, we know that God will go to the extent of dropping it out of the sky. Is that right? If his people are thirsty and there's no water around, we know that God will go to the length of causing it to spring right out of a rock. If he will do that for old covenant people under a, a worse covenant than we've got, people who were his servants, will he do any less in a better covenant for his sons and daughters, for his children? No, no, a thousand times no. We should believe, shouldn't we? Oh, we sh oh how we should believe. That's what we read over in Matthew 6. He said, he said oh, you have little faith. Don't take any thought about what you're going to eat or drink or, or wear or any of those things. The Gentiles worry about stuff like that. Your father knows you have need of those things. You just seek first the kingdom of God, and he's going to add all that to you. It's, it's, it's such a show of doubt if we worry about the, the staples of life. If we worry about where our next meal is going to come from or, or if we'll be able to eat next year or what we're going to wear, if we're going to have a place to live, or if we're going to have a transportation, or be able to do what we need to do. If we worry about any of those things, it shows our doubt, our unbelief. We don't believe God. We don't trust Him. We're doubting if we worry. Faith doesn't worry. I said faith doesn't worry. 
Y'all are quiet today. Faith doesn't worry. If you've worried, God forgives and He cleanses, but you don't have to worry. Nobody has to worry. Somebody said, yeah, but Brother Keith, you just don't know. If you had my problem, you would worry. Not if I walked in faith, I wouldn't. If I did, I'd be missing. You understand? Nobody has to doubt. Nobody has to worry. We can believe God. There's an option. We can cast our cares over on Him and trust Him. I said we can trust Him. I, I, know, I know from experience I've grown in this area in the past several years. You know, I, I just, you know, of course you'll be tempted to worry and what have you. And I've yielded to it in the past just like you have. But, uh, man, I tell you, the more I learn of God, the more my faith grows, I just worry less and less. I just, you don't, just don't, not even tempted to worry as much. Amen. You know, you just, because you know God's God. God's Amen. faithful. He, He's able. Yes, he I said, well, I don't know how in the world God could get me out of this. That means nothing. It just means you don't know something. Right. And you already know there's a lot of things you don't know. Amen. God probably knows of 5,030 ways without thinking long about it. God knows of ways to solve problems and get things. I mean, how, who, who would have thought of bread falling out of the sky now? Hmm? Who would have thought of that? When you sit there and thought, there's no bread to eat. Where are we going to get bread? Did anybody jump up and say, let's believe that it'll fall out of the sky. <laughs> I bet they didn't think of that. <laughs> well, if we need water, well, who would have thought that water just going to jump out of a rock? God's got ways never crossed your mind. Is that right? Thank God we don't have to figure it out. All we got to do is believe. If we need it, pray, ask God to do it, and believe we receive and expect it. Amen. How? That's not for us to figure out. He knows. He knows. Anyway, verse 7, He called the name of that place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, we've already talked about tempting God with unbelief. And this is a clear example of it right here. We're told that they tempted God repeatedly with their unbelief. And you hear this statement right here. We ask the question, you know, have you ever heard anybody say, don't tempt me? Hmm? <laughs> I saw somebody quarreling one time. And... Uh, and one of them was saying, you know, I feel like just busting you upside the head. And then I said, well, why don't you just do it? And the other one said, don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. I remember I saw two field hands have the, one of the worst fights over a piece of cheese that I ever saw. Boy, I mean, they, they about tore each other up. One of them was after the other one with a Coke bottle. And it was, it was a very serious situation. Somebody stole somebody's cheese. It was a bad, it was a bad deal. But I, I remember I was a little boy. I was up in the loft of the barn watching. They were down in the, under a tree way off in the distance. And I thought, boy, this is some kind of entertainment, isn't it? You know, I, I sit and watch the whole thing. But, you know, you ever heard anybody say that? Don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. What are they doing? They're tempting God. 
You know, they said this all the time. Well, well, I wish God would have just let us die in Egypt. You know, what? wonder what God would have thought. wonder what kind of thought go, to go through his mind. He might have thought, yeah, I wish I left you in Egypt. <laughs> I think some that we don't see some things about God's personality and character sometimes. But if you read some of these things closely, you'll see some things. I mean, God got aggravated. He got upset with them. Is that right? Because they wouldn't believe him. They wouldn't. They just refused to believe him. We're going to see some things in just a moment that will bring that, that out real clear. But can you see that this is tempting God to say, is the Lord among us or not? We read over in the Psalms where he quoted and said that they said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness or not? Now, you know, it's all right to ask the Lord a question for information's sake. But it's not all right to ask him something accusatively, doubting. Is that right? You know, look up and say, well, God, can you do it or not? You're tempting him. You're tempting him. No, you're supposed to believe he can do anything. You're supposed to trust him. Amen. Need to be, need to watch talk like that. The Bible says it's tempting God. You know, the devil tried to get Jesus uh, to yield a temptation in a similar area. Because Jesus quoted back to him and said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. You remember that? Mm -hmm. And the thing it concerned was over him jumping off the top of a high building. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And so the devil was trying to get him to do it based on a scripture. How many know the devil will quote scripture? Yeah. How many know the devil knows charismatic language yeah. and Pentecostal language? Oh, he knows how to talk to you. And he tries to get you off. And think you're acting on verses and you're acting in presumption. He quoted scripture to Jesus. He said, you know, it's written that the angels, uh, he, he'll give his angels charge over you concerning you and they'll lift you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against the stone. So it's written. Do you believe it? If you believe it, you jump. What's the matter? You don't believe it? You either believe that his angels will bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone or not. If you believe it, you won't be chicken. You'll jump and see if it's true. What he wanted Jesus to do is to sail off of that top of that thing and say, is it true or not? Right? <laughs> do you believe it or not? What did Jesus tell him? He said, it's also written. How many of you not only need to know how to say it's written, you need to know how to say it's also written. Rightly divide the word of God. You, you can tell in your heart when something's not right if you just pay attention. He said, it's also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He didn't need to jump off that temple. If somebody had pushed him off, it'd be another thing. Is that right? But just to, to purposely throw yourself in danger? Saying, well, God, can you deliver me or not? Well, you're ignorant. You're tempting God. Tempting him what? Tempting him to let you splatter and hit on the ground. That's what he's, you're tempting him to do. <laughs> well, if you're that ignorant, go. You understand what I'm saying? Don't. 
tempt God. Well, can you do it or not, God? See, that kind of talk is wrong. You need to lift up your voice and say, God, I know you can do it. You don't have to prove anything to me. I've seen too much. I've seen you move too much. I know, I know you can do it. I know you're faithful. You know, oftentimes those Pharisees and Sadducees and doctors of the law and scribes would come to Jesus and say, show us a sign. Show us something. You, you the Messiah? Prove it to us. Show us. What would he say again and again? He says, there's no sign to be given this evil and adulterous generation. He talked about that he's going to be raised from the dead, et cetera, et cetera, and there'd be a sign in that. But he said, there's nothing going to be shown you. Why? There's no faith there. No faith. Well, God, if this is real, prove it to me. Show me. Convince me. What are you saying? You're saying, I have no faith in you. I don't believe in you. You've got to make me believe. Well, you'll just do without. That's all. Because God's not interested in fooling with such ignorance. The, uh, the, the Pharisees and scribes stood outside where Jesus was hanging on the cross. And they stood out there and they mocked. And they said, come down, we'll believe. Oh, you're the son of God. You said you're, you're son of God. Come down and show us. Come off the cross. If you're God, if you're the Son of God, come off the cross and show us. Then we'll believe. Did he do it? No. No. Doubters perish. Just that simple. You know, sometimes people want to challenge and say, well, you know, if you're really anointed, if God really heals, prove it. Heal somebody. Here, here's a problem. Heal it. You know, because I've been so involved in the healing ministry, you know, I've had people ask me wild questions like that. I've had people catch me off of the side and say, uh, you think you can heal? Heal this. Do you know that, in essence, the people in Jesus' own hometown challenged him? in somewhat of that same way. Because after he came out of the wilderness temptation, he came out in the power of the Spirit, and he got there and read the scroll of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord's upon me, because he's anointed me, and said, this day the Scripture's fulfilled in your ears. I'm here, I'm anointed to minister to you. And the Bible says they didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. And the Bible said he could there do no mighty work. Save he laid his hands upon a few sick folk, he said. No, no mighty things, no spectacular things happened in that town because of their unbelief. Their unbelief limited the very ministry of the Son of God. Now that's a strong statement. Let's go to the next situation here. This will be our uh, sixth one, I guess, we're looking at. And this is in Exodus 32. The sixth one, Exodus 32, we'll begin here at the first verse. Now we saw in our last situation, we saw that uh, some of the same things we saw before, but in addition to that, we saw that unbelief tempts God. It asks questions like, you know, is he going to do it or not? Can he do it or not? 
Is his word true or not? Prove it to us. Show us. I've heard charismatics say things like that. Kind of get disgruntled with something. Feel like that something hadn't happened as quick or the way that they thought it would. And they, they just say, well, God, are you going to do it or not? Well, is your word true or not? That's the same spirit that they spoke way back here. Tempting God. Are you listening? Doubt and unbelief. Doubt and unbelief. In Exodus, the 32nd chapter, we see this, the next situation. Moses is up on the mountain with God for a long time. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron, and they said to him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. As for, as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. Now, not many days before this, they had actually heard the voice of God speaking out of the fire on the mountain, telling them among the first, first two commandments, don't make any idols and don't worship them. And they stood up and they said, the Lord is God and we will do what he has commanded. And just a matter of days later, they said, up, oh, make us some gods. Notice some things about unbelief in this passage. For one thing, notice it said, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come. Unbelief is impatient. I said unbelief is impatient. If it doesn't happen just right away, then uh, unbelief kicks up. How many times have you noticed even in the New Testament where it talks about through faith and patience? You inherit the promises. Whether if patience is a sidekick of faith, then it's not surprising that a sidekick of unbelief would be impatience. Impatience. Did you know that you really don't have any more faith than you do patience? Did you know that? Mm -mm. When your patience runs out, that's also going to be the end of your faith. It's not enough just to believe God. You've got to believe God until. Is that right? How many, you know, believing God for a little while and then quitting will get you the same results as not believing God at all. You've got to believe God and then what? Having done all to stand, stand, expect, and what? Keep expecting. Is that right? Believe and... Keep believing, confess it, and keep confessing it until what? Till you see it, till you feel it. Is that right? You just got to stay with it. But unbelief is impatient. Moses didn't come back in just a few days, and so they got impatient, and they got hasty. Unbelief is restless, anxious, impatient. And notice what else they said. They said uh, to Moses, they said, Up and make us gods. For as for this Moses, that's right, unbelief is what? Disrespectful. Unbelief is disrespectful, and I might also add, unthankful. 
This man has led them. This man has faced Pharaoh for them. Is that right? This man has sacrificed for them. Hasn't he? I mean, this man has heard from the very mouth of God and communicated to them and led them. We know that his father-in-law, Jethro, when he came to visit him, we saw Moses from dawn to dusk judging the people and working to lead the people to the point of total exhaustion. And what do these people say about him? This Moses, we don't know what happened to this guy. You know how he is. It's been a long time. He's not coming back. Make us a God, Aaron. Disrespectful, ungrateful, unthankful. That's unbelief. And you know, Aaron shows some weakness here, doesn't he? He was left in charge. And when the people got, you know, all of their anger and resentment and unbelief stirred up, he yielded to their influences. And he took all her earrings and stuff and he made a gold calf. And you know the story. I'll tell you one thing that's kind of interesting to hear. Uh, when he said, well, you know, bring your, your earrings and what have you, verse 3, all the people break off the golden earrings and they brought them to Aaron. You ever notice how loose people are with their money when it comes to sinning and doing their own projects? But then sometimes they get tight when it comes to giving in the offerings of God. <laughs> it, it's really something. How some people, you know, when they used to go, they'd buy, they'd buy drinks for everybody. Is that right? Oh, man, when they sinned, they, they did it upright. I mean, you know, they, they'd spend every dime. And then just stingy when, it, when they get saved to get in the church and comes time to give something to God. I just thought I'd mention that. I didn't say you were like that. I said some people are like that, you know. Right? Some people. <laughs> anyway, God got real angry with them, didn't he? He got so angry until he told Moses. Moses still up there in the mountain with him in the glory of God, receiving things for the nation. And he, he told him what they had done. And he said, this is a stiff-necked bunch. What does he mean by that? that you know, it doesn't look like they're going to change. Right? They have had ample opportunity to believe, but it doesn't look like they're going to change. They just keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And so God said, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and I'll consume them. How many think God's tired of unbelief here? I told you before, I hope you're seeing it. Unbelief irritates God, and if it's persistent, it angers him. Makes him mad. You see that with Jesus. Now, you know, this is not the last example of this. You know, the, the disciples, they walked with Jesus for almost four years, depending on how you figure. And uh, they saw miracles of every kind. They saw blind eyes open, deaf ears open. They saw the lame walk and the dumb talk. 
They saw uh, water turn to wine. They saw the wind and waves cease. They saw the dead raised. They saw demoniacs delivered. They saw masses healed and set free and delivered. And even after all of that, and after his resurrection, what's one of the last first things he had to talk to him after he's raised from the dead? Mark 16. The Bible said he rebuked them because of their unbelief. Is that right? I said to you earlier, unbelief is not only uh, one of our worst enemies that we have to deal with, but it's also one of the most sticky and persistent ones to root out. Have you ever found that to be true? You, you know, if you just read these things, you can see. I mean, unbelief, it's kind of like, you know, you, you scrape it off of this hand, and then it's on this hand. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? You know, you get this cleaned out over here and, and you're doing pretty good and you look over there and there's some. It's an ever-present problem because the whole world round about us is full of it. So it can easily creep in from any side. Is that right? That's why we've got to maintain a relationship with God. Stay full of the Word and stay full of the Spirit of God so that we're always pushing that off and not, not letting it contaminate our thinking. That's what the Lord's talking about when He said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Hallelujah. Go with me to Numbers 11, if you would. Let's look at the seventh example here. Numbers 11. Everybody got peace today? You, you okay? Comfortable? Hmm? Remember, unbelief is impatient and restless. Is that right? You know, timing's important on saying things, isn't it? You say things at the right place and right time. Numbers 11. Numbers 11. Now, if, you, if you're a first-time visitor with us, and uh, you don't know whether you like this sermon message or not, you ought, you ought to at least come back another time or two because we have different messages and different sermons around here. You might like the next one if you don't like this one. But you know, a lot of times the things we don't like still things with it that we need. You know, if you let kids, uh, you know, they'll just eat ice cream and potato chips all the time. But they also need uh, broccoli and cauliflower, spinach. Is that right? They need some things that they, squash, things that they might not necessarily want to eat. But they need other things beside ice cream and potato chips. Is that right? Spiritually, it's the same thing is true. You know, sometimes people get on one track. Well, that's all I want to hear. I just want to hear this brother preach on this. That's the only thing I want to hear. Or this sister, that's what she talks about, and that's all I want to hear. But sometimes the people you don't like to hear are some things you need to hear. And you need to just sit down and eat your spinach. Because it's good for you. Amen. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, you know, you can even grow to like spinach. Is that right? 
You know, years ago, there's several foods I didn't like. I didn't like cauliflower, and I didn't like broccoli, and I didn't like spinach, and I didn't like squash. <laughs> but all of those things now I like. I don't mean I just tolerate them. I like them, particularly if they're prepared right. <laughs> How many know the preparation has a lot to do with something? Yeah. Yeah, a lot to do with it. Now, the way some people cook squash, I, I don't wonder why some other people don't want to eat it, you know, but, but whatever. But uh, we need all of it. All of it. Numbers 11, are you there? Verse 1. This is our uh, seventh situation. When the people complained, uh-oh, <laughs> what are we seeing? Unbelief. When they complain, it displeased the Lord. What pleases the Lord? Faith. faith. Complaining displeases Him. So complaining obviously is not a faith. How many understand? There's no way you can complain in faith. <laughs> is that right? No way. No way. No way. You know, to some people, faith is a very vague and unknown thing. But faith is more discernible than what many think. For one thing, faith is evidenced by joy. Faith is evidenced by peace. And we've said this through the years here at Healing School, a little bare repetition, you know, that doubt complains. What, what, how, what did I say? Somebody help me. I lost my track, track, train of thought. Huh? No, 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 no. <laughs> Doubt despairs, complains, and is sad. But faith rejoices, gives thanks, and is glad. Is that right? Think about it. Doubt what? Despairs. It complains, and it's sad or depressed, you see. But faith does what? Rejoices, gives thanks, and is glad. If you're depressed over a situation, are you in faith about it? No. If you're worrying about it, is that a sign you're in faith about it? No. See, faith is more evident than some people think. There's no such thing as being in faith about something and being depressed over it. Because if you're in faith, you believe God's heard your prayer. You believe the answer's on the way. You'll see it soon. Does that make you sad? No. Nope. That makes you glad. Right? Faith is more evident than what some people might think. Now notice here, they did what? They complained. And it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And, people, and the people cried to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Have you noticed that the further their unbelief goes, the more severe the judgments get? Why? Because there's no excuse. After all they've seen and after all they've experienced. So we see complaining here. 
and we see judgment. How many understand that complaining is a serious thing? In our society today, just socially, it's not looked at as being that big of a deal. But in the Word of God, it is a very serious offense to complain, to gripe, to bellyache. It's nothing in the world but unbelief. And a faith person will be continually giving thanks. The New Testament is full of such instruction. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Amen? Offer up the sacrifice of thanksgiving to God and praise to God continually. The fruit of your lips giving thanks all the time, all the time. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth, not griping and complaining, but praising and thanking all the time. Praising and thanking, praising and thanking all the time. Not griping and complaining, praising and thanking. We won't go into a lot of detail about that, but we, we've already studied some of these details. But here's the eighth one, which comes right after it, beginning in verse 4. And, this happened later, the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again. Here's something. Unbelief does a lot of crying. Do you cry a lot? I said, do you cry a lot? <laughs> I wish I had an extra day or two to just <laughs> cap on this and just meddle around with some of these things because it would do us good and, and help us. You know? How many know that uh, there is a cry that's an expression of joy? You can be so happy, you can cry. That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. There is a cry that one might cry in sorrow, like if they lost a loved one. But you know that even a lot of times that can be expression, at least in part, of some unbelief. Particularly if a loved one is saved, if you cry like they're gone forever, then that means you don't believe the Bible. Now, sure, you, you know, if, if you lose them, you're going to miss them and what have you. But I said if you cry like they're gone forever, if you sorrow like those who have no hope, then that shows what? Unbelief. But I'm not talking especially about that. I'm talking about crying about your situations, crying about what's going on in my life. Why did this have to happen to me? Crying. Why do people do that? Is that, is that, a, is that faith? Are they boohooing in faith? No. What are they doing? They're in unbelief. They're expressing doubt. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. It's so bad. I don't know what, I, what am I going to do. What's the answer to that? What's the answer to that? What am I going to do? Believe God. Is that right? <laughs> I said, believe God. That's what you do. You know, sometimes in our society, in Christian circles, a lot of times, if anybody cries about anything, people think the standard way to deal with it is to run, grab them, and put your arms around them and say, oh, honey, that's all right. No, don't cry, you know, and, and, and just console like that. 
But you know, that's not all the way, not all the time the way it needs to be handled. Because if it's unbelief, that's offensive. It's offensive to God. A lot of times if you cry on yourself, you need to get yourself by the nap of the neck and say, quit that. What's wrong with you doubting God like that? God's done too much for you. He's moved for you too many times for you to act like this. Wallow around in this doubt and self-pity. Quit it. Amen. Is that right? I don't know how many friends I'm making this week, but I, I feel like I'm sharing what I got on my heart, so that's what counts with me, brother. Amen. <laughs> but they wept and they said, who would give us flesh to eat? We want meat. We remember the fish. Oh, do you remember the fish? The fish. <laughs> we ate in Egypt so freely. We had all the fish we wanted. And we had cucumbers. And we had watermelons. And we had leeks and onions and garlic. Oh, it was so wonderful. You remember how we ate in Egypt? Now, this is another indication of doubt and unbelief. What do we say about doubt and unbelief? It looks back. Doubt and unbelief looks back. They said, but now our soul is dried away. And there's nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. Here, here's another indication of unbelief. What, what is this right here? Unthankful. Is that right? What would they have if they didn't have the manna? Nothing. But are they thanking God for the manna? No. They're crying because they don't have watermelon and fish. Now, now here's the thing. It would have been all right for them to ask God for some watermelon and fish and to believe God for it. But at the same time, be thankful for the manna. Amen? But no. See, they doubting God. They got to get sarcastic and negative and pessimistic. Do you see it? Verse 10, Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent, and the Lord felt sorry for them. What? And Moses did too. He said, poor, poor people. No, the anger of the Lord. You know, sometimes when people cry, it makes God mad. I know y'all might rather jump and shout today, but I just, I just ain't got that kind of message today. It's just... Sometimes when people cry, it makes God angry. Quit crying. Dry those eyes. Blow your nose and quit sniffling like that. Stand up from there and confess faith. Is that right? And then Moses said, he began to pray. He said, why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of this bunch on me? <laughs> Moses, Moses is basically saying, God, what did I ever do to you that you, that you 
struck me with this bunch. <laughs> I thought you said I was your friend. I thought you said you liked me. And then you do this to me. <laughs> he said, he goes on. In verse 12, he said, have I conceived all these people? He said, these ain't my kids. He said, you know, have I begotten them that you should say carry them in your bosom as a nursing father bears the sucking child? And he said, where can I get flesh or meat to give all these people? They weep unto me saying, give us flesh that we may. I'm not able to bear all these people alone. It's too heavy for me. If you're going to deal with me like this, just kill me, I pray thee. <laughs> Out of hand. And if I found favor in your sight, don't let me see my wretchedness. Just, Lord, would you please just, just kill me and get it over with? <laughs> now, now, let's stop right here. Is that positive? No. What has happened to our main man here? <laughs> if you sleep with dogs... You mess around and get some fleas, is that right? <laughs> unbelief is contagious. You hang around people that's all time talking and living unbelief, and it can get off on you very easily. But you know the same thing is true with faith. You hang around with faith people, and that'll rub off on you too. He that walks with wise men, the Bible said he'll be wise himself. Amen. But a companion of fools, he'll be destroyed with them too, you see. Hang around with faith people. Right? You know, if you, believe, if you hang around with people that believe it's God's will for you to be poor, what's probably going to happen to you? You hang around with people that preach that sometimes God makes his people sick and it's his will, then... What can you look forward to, you see? They make fun of us and call us the health and wealth gospel bunch. Health and wealth club. What kind of club do you want to join? Sickness and poverty club? I mean... I like the bunch I run with. Don't mess with me. Things are better with me than they used to be. Hallelujah. Yeah. But anyway, you know, he, our man is slipping some here. Is that right? God had mercy on him. And he took 70 people to, to put some of the Spirit of God on them to help you, for them to help him judge the people. But in verse 18, he said, Say to the people, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and you shall eat flesh. He says, You're going to eat meat tomorrow. Now, when God says you're going to eat meat tomorrow... Can he do it? And he said, You have wept in the ears of the Lord. And you said, Who will give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you flesh and you shall eat. And you shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month until it comes out your nostrils. <laughs> I 
I don't think God is too happy about this situation, do you? Now, see, there was a time before where he caused quail to come up and, and cover the camp, and they ate, but apparently they didn't eat for very long. Maybe it was gone a day or two or a week or whatever. But he said, this time, I'm going to bring quail, and you're going to eat quail till you get sick of it. You're going to eat it till it comes out of your nose. This doesn't sound like the Lord's very pleased with him. He, he's not. You can tell he's not pleased with him at all. He said, because you have, he said, he said, you've despised the Lord which is among you. You've despised me. You've wept before him. And you said, why did we come out of Egypt? Moses said to people, Moses began to talk. He said, the people among whom I am are 600,000 footmen. I see you add everybody else to them. You've got millions of people. And he said, you, God, you said that you're going to give them flesh. You're going to give them meat to eat a month. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them? What he wants to do, kill all the flocks? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? What is this? Unbelief. Unbelief questions God negatively. Questions God. Well, God... Where's this going to come from? What are you going to do? Are you going to get everybody I know to write me a check? Well, God, how could this happen? I mean, what are you going to do? Give me new organs or something? What are you going to do is pull all my insides out and put some new ones in? Like it was so impossible for him to do it. You ever heard anybody talk like that or imply any kind of thing? See, that's unbelief. It's doubt. Notice what the Lord said. The Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand whacked short? Have I lost some of my power? Have I lost my touch? Have I run out of resources? You'll see now whether my word will come to pass to you or not. Apparently that was the end of their conversation. <clears throat> but how many know that God did just what he said he would do? In verse 31... There went forth a wind from the Lord, and he brought quails from the sea, and he let them fall by the camp as it were a day's journey on this side, as it were a day's journey on the other side round about the camp, and as it were two cubits high upon the face of the ground. Now, we're talking about mucho quail. Is that right? <laughs> And the people gathered quail, you know, and they ate quail till they got sick of seeing quail. But verse 33, while the flesh was yet between their teeth, there it was chewed. The wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a plague. He called the name of the place Kibroth Hateva, because there they buried the people that lusted. You might say, why, why did that happen? Even after God had provided for them, they're still not thankful. Many of them are still just lusting. Just lusting. It's called the graves of lust. Their lust is what did them in. Unbelief doesn't control its lust. It just yields to its lust. Now here's the next instance right here, chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses... 
because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Has he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. How many know the Lord hears everything? Now, it didn't say necessarily that Aaron, Miriam and Aaron came and talked to Moses about his Ethiopian wife. What did it say? They spake against him. Same, similar thing is said about Korah and Dathan and Abiram. They spoke against Moses and spoke against Aaron. So it, even though this looks to be like maybe the involvement of two or three people, it could be that they had the people stirred up about this, you see. Speaking against him. Unbelief gets out of its place. It's insubordinate, rebellious. Unbelief sticks its nose in other people's business. <clears throat> Are you listening? In things that doesn't pertain to it. I guess maybe Miriam felt threatened. The Bible mentions her before Aaron, and there's reasons why the Bible does things like that. She must have been the leader of this thing. We can also see another sign of Aaron's weakness. I mean, he, he just swayed along when they wanted to make idols, and he just comes along with this, too. How many of you need to watch who you go along with? Miriam at this time would have been in her 80s or 90s, probably mid-late 80s anyway. Miriam's been a, a, a prominent figure in the leadership of the people of Israel. But I guess maybe since Moses has got this wife that she feels like maybe her place is threatened. I don't know what the deal was. We're not told a lot of the detail. But anyway, she decided to stir up problems over it. And God called him out to the tabernacle. And he spoke very severely to him. He said, he said I want you to know that if I have a prophet... I reveal myself to him in visions and dreams. But Moses is not just a prophet. I talk to him face to face. He's my chosen. And why were you not afraid to talk against him? You see, unbelief doesn't respect God's choices and God's appointments. Can you see some things here? You know the story she got judged with leprosy, and uh, then Moses had to pray for her, and she got healed and got delivered. But how many of it pays to mind your own business? Is that right? It pays to be quiet. A lot of times it doesn't make any difference what you think. It's just none of your business, particularly when it has to do with your leaders and elders. If they're wrong, God can deal with them. Is that right? A lot of times it's just, it's just none of your business. Now finally, here in the 10th situation in Numbers 13, and I'm keeping you a little bit longer today, but can you, can you bear with it? Numbers 13, we see the 10th and final time that they tempted God with their doubt and unbelief. You know the story. They got to the promised land. They got to the border there. 
so close and yet so far away. How many know you can be close to something geographically, but in your, in your heart, you're not even close? And uh, they sent the, the 12 spies, and they came back, and they said, Oh, yeah, man, it's a land that flows with milk and honey, just like God said it was, but... There's that negativism again. But there are giants in the land, and the cities are all up to heaven, and there's no way we can take it. And Caleb still the people in verse 30. He said, let's go up and get it right now. Because we're well able to overcome it. Now, what's that? Now, see, we're not just, we haven't just been going through all of this just to memorize some incidents. I said, I want us to get a hold of the difference between the spirit of doubt and unbelief and the spirit of faith. The Bible said Caleb had another spirit. Different spirit than those people had is the spirit of faith. They, they, they said, oh, we can't do it, we can't do it. There's no way. They're bigger than us. They're more than us. The cities are walled. We can't get in. Caleb said, let's go get it right now. I'm ready. Boys, let's go. My bunch is ready. My family's ready. Let's go. All my sons got their armor on. I got a plan. I already got me a spot picked out over there. It's the mountain. The one with the big giants on it. He did. He said, he said, I'm ready. Come on. Quit fooling around. Let's go. I mean, we've come too far now to turn back. God brought us out of Egypt. We already come through this, this wilderness and this desert. Here it is. It's right here in front of us. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get it. Because we are well able. Well able. Well able. See, faith doesn't look at the natural. Faith looks at the spiritual. They're looking at their natural ability. They're looking at their numbers. They're looking at their size. Caleb's not. Amen. Caleb's looking at his God. Amen. Caleb's looking at their covenant. Amen? Amen. Caleb's looking at God's faithfulness. Amen. He said, let's go. But the men that went with him said, we'd be not able. We can't do it. That's one of the favorite sayings of unbelief. We can't. We can't. We, we don't know. We, we can't do we don't have, can't, can't. They said we can't because the people are stronger than us. Unbelief overestimates its enemy. And unbelief underestimates itself and underestimates its God. They said, you know, that land that we, we went to look at, it's a land that eats up the inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great stature. And we saw the giants, sons of Anak, and we were just like little grasshoppers in their sight, in our own sight, and so, we, so were we in their sight, both places. Now, how did they know they looked like grasshoppers to them? If you go over later and read Rahab's account, Rahab said, she told the spies, she said, uh, she said, I don't know if you know it or not, but everybody's scared silly of y'all. That's Keith Moore paraphrase. She said, everybody's hearts are melting because of y'all. Because everybody has heard what your God did for you in Egypt. And everybody has heard how he split the Red Sea. 
and everybody is just so scared of y'all, they don't know what to do. But no, they believe the devil's lie. They didn't believe the truth. Chapter 14, all the congregation lifted up their voice and they cried and the people wept that night. What is that? Unbelief. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would God we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in the wilderness? I wish we had died in Egypt. I wish we'd have died in the wilderness. They're always saying, I wish I'd have died. I wish I was dead. I wish I was dead. I wish I had died in Egypt. I wish I had died in the wilderness. I wish I was dead now. I just wish I was dead. What are they doing? They're tempting God. Because God hears that day in and day out. He hears crying. He hears griping. He hears, I wish I was dead. And God is thinking, we can arrange something. Don't tempt me. <laughs> Oh, boy, some of you look like you don't know whether you like this or not. But uh, I'm about through, so just hold on. Anyway, you know, Caleb and Joshua stood up, and they, they tore their clothes in verse 6. And they spoke to the company uh, of Israelites. And they said, the land which we went, it's a good land, exceeding good. And if the Lord delights in us, which he obviously does, I mean, he chose us out of Egypt, and he's brought us this far. He will bring us into this land. Do you know how positive faith talks? Faith doesn't say, well, we'll give it a shot and see what happens. No, He will. He will. He will. And, he, and they said, uh, uh, He'll bring us into this land. He'll give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord. Unbelief rebels. Neither fear ye the people of the land. Unbelief is scared. For they are bread for us. Today we'd probably say, it's a piece of cake. We can take it. Their defense is departed from them. The Lord's with us. Fear them not. God's not with them. They worship idols. They worship God of this and God of that. God's not with them. God's with us. I don't care how big they are. I don't care how big their weapons are. God's with us. And if God is with us and God is for us, who can be against us? And so all the congregation got stirred up in faith and said, yeah, let's go. Verse 10. No. Here's, here's another thing. Faith makes unbelief mad. When people are in unbelief and somebody rises up and speaks in faith, it'll make them mad. Made them so mad, they wanted to stone them. They wanted to kill them because they had faith. Why? Because their faith showed up their unbelief. If somebody's got more faith than you, don't get insulted and don't get mad. Repent. Is that right? So, I mean, if you've been singing the blues and been depressed and somebody stands up and speaks a word of faith and you look at it and you think, hmm, well, I guess I haven't been doing too good. When people are in unbelief and somebody rises up and speaks in faith, it'll make them mad. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge 
by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.